If you have your Bible today, I would like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We will be in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to pick up in verse 46 in just a little bit. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. If you've been following along in our series, you know that Jesus has really crossed, crossed what you might call a threshold in his ministry. And what I mean by that is, is um, he spent his, the first 30 years or so of his life in obscurity. Nobody knew who he was. He was just the, the son of a carpenter, kind of on the backside of the desert, didn't have a name recognition. Uh, but then he came onto the scene pretty suddenly. He was preaching the, the kingdom of God. He was calling people to repent. He was healing the sick and, and the lame and, and casting out demons and, and doing all kinds of miraculous things. And because of this, because of his teaching, because of his, just his manner of life, people began to flock to him. And by this point in his ministry, crowds were following him no matter where he went. And his, his, his popularity, what you might call, skyrocketed. I mean, people were just coming to him all over the place. But it wasn't all sunshine and roses for Jesus because he was meeting with all kinds of opposition as well. And, and his destination was always the cross. It wasn't that he began his ministry and then decided at some point, hey, I think I'll just go to the cross in one of the, uh, uh, after a couple of years. He came to die. That was the whole reason he was born. That's the whole reason he came and served. And so with the cross always before him, he is always drawing closer and closer to that day. And so as he's getting closer eventually, and, and we, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, eventually he begins to tell his disciples this is what's going to happen. Because up till that point, he's just been telling them about the kingdom of God and how to live and so on and so forth. But after a while, he says, I'm going to the cross. You remember um, last time we looked at it, he tells his disciples he's going to be betrayed and, uh, and he's going to be crucified. And, and it seems obvious to us on this side of the cross. All this stuff that he's saying, we know that's where he's going. And it's easy to look back, hindsight being what it is. But the disciples didn't get it. They, they just missed it all together. And, and Jesus would talk about things like, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And again, to us, we all, we all understand that because we know the rest of the story. But they found it hard to accept. And I'm sure that as he talked about being betrayed into the, into the hands of sinful men and crucified and, 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 and those types of things, that as they were hearing Jesus say that at one moment, but then they turned and all the crowds were speaking uh, well of him and, and talking about the amazing things that he was doing, the miraculous uh, power that he had, the, the, the marvelous uh, works of God and so forth. I'm sure this, they, they heard Jesus say that and then they heard the crowd say what they were saying, that that just fed into their difficulty of being able to accept what he was saying. So starting in our text today, Jesus is going to, again, he's going to kind of cross a threshold. He's, begin, he's going to begin to make his, his final big journey to Jerusalem. And uh, as you read the gospel, you, you see during, especially like that last week of his life, he'd go to Jerusalem during the day and he would go out to like Bethany at night and, and so forth. So this isn't like the final, final trip into Jerusalem. But he's, he's leaving Galilee. Galilee has been where he's been ministering for some time. And this is the end of that ministry. He's headed to Jerusalem where he will eventually die on the cross. Now, as we see today, you'd think that after all this time of being with Jesus, the disciples would be on board with what he's doing, with what he's saying. But we'll see today that the disciples put the duh in disciples. I mean, it's, what they will do today is they're actually going to argue about who is the greatest. Who is the greatest? After Jesus has just gone through telling them, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm, I'm going to be delivered over into the hands of sinful men, 
and all these terrible things are going to happen, they begin to argue which one of them is the best. Okay, so if, if you found Luke chapter 9 and are able, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 46. And so what we're going to read is we're going to read about this, this argument they have and then the correction that Jesus gives. And then you'll notice as we read down past that, it seems like Luke includes a couple of unrelated events. But I think as, as we consider them, I think we'll be able to draw some lines directly to what has been uh, said right before that. Verse 46, it says, An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side. And he said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Thank you. you may be seated. Now the first thing I want you to see today in the text is the argument. Is the argument. If you look back at verse 46 and following. Now our passage Last week, closed with Jesus telling the disciples he was going to be handed over, he was going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, and he was going to die. That was going to result in his death. And right after this, verse 46, the disciples began to discuss, they began to argue over which of them was the greatest. Now, the word greatest in the original language is the word megas. And so we know what mega is. You think of a megaton uh, bomb or something like that. It means the biggest. And so they're, they're, they're debating amongst themselves who is the biggest, who is the best, who is the most prominent, who is number one, who is the preeminent disciple among Jesus' followers. Now on one hand, it baffles the mind that they could be along with Jesus, that they could see what he was saying and doing, they could hear what he was saying, they could see what he was doing, they could, uh, they, they could have these intimate discussions with him, and yet they were still debating such things as which of us is the best. Especially after he's just told them, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to die. Now on one hand, it's hard for for me at least to imagine how they could come up with this conversation to have. Why would they have this discussion, this argument in this context? But on the other hand, I think if we use our sanctified imagination, we can kind of figure this out. I can envision all kinds of ways this discussion could get started. So, for instance, maybe it started when the three, you remember as we're working our way through this, uh, Peter, James, and John, they just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? Now, the Bible says in in Luke's Gospel that they didn't say anything about what they had seen until after Jesus rose from the dead. In some of the other Gospels, it tells us that Jesus told them, don't tell anybody any of this stuff yet. So, I can imagine as they come down from the mountain, you remember there's this incident with with the, the man who brings his uh, possessed son to Jesus to the disciples, they're not able to cast the demon out, and so on and so forth. I can imagine as, as 
Peter and James and John are sitting around talking one, one time. They, they start talking about, hey, you remember when, when, you remember how Peter started saying all that crazy stuff about building three tabernacles? And, then, and it was so off base that God Almighty spoke from heaven and said, listen to Jesus. You remember that? He doesn't get anything right. And then James and John, yeah, they, he, he never gets anything right. And then, you know, Thomas comes up. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Oh, nothing. Oh, we, we can't tell you. What do you mean you can't tell me? Well, Jesus said this is confidential informa- information. We, this, this is stuff that we experienced up on the mountain. You remember you guys stay down here. We got to go up on the mountain and because we're Jesus' inner circle. And, and I can imagine some dispute arising. And, and well, well if, if I know you, you were probably asleep on the job. And, and well, well, at least I got to go up there. Well, somebody's got to stay down here and minister. I, can, you, can you hear how some of this might start? Or, or maybe it happened as, as some of them were discussing their inability to cast out this demon. You remember, there were nine of them left. None of the nine could do it. All nine together couldn't do it. So I can imagine one of them turns to the other and saying, well, if I mean, that, that demon, he wouldn't come out for anything. Well, Jesus got him out. Well, one of you all must have had a weak faith. Jesus said it only comes out by prayer. Who's, who's not been praying? Because I know I've been praying. And if, you, if your faith would have been strong enough, I bet we could have got it out. Oh, if, it, if my faith, what about your faith? If your faith was so good, you could have got him out. Can, can you hear? And, and we start debating which one of them is, is the best. Or maybe it's a combination. Peter, James, John walk up and they're debating who has the weak faith, who's not been praying enough. Oh, well, you know what? If we hadn't have been up on the mountain, I bet we could have done it. At least the three of us together could have cast it out. Oh, yeah, you, you always think you're, you're always getting to go off with Jesus and do this, that, and the other. You just think you're so good, don't you? I, I can think of all kinds of, of, of ways. Maybe, maybe they're actually taking Jesus seriously. And Jesus talks about the kingdom and him being a king. And maybe I can see them saying, well, I bet I'm going to be the prime minister. I'm going to be his Secretary of Defense. Oh, why would you need to be Secretary of Defense? You're not going to. It's going to be the the lion's going to lay down with the lamb and the ox is, and, and all these things, and the the child can can reach his hand in the 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 the, uh, the viper's pit and not be bitten. Why why are you going to defend against it? Oh, well, you just think you know and, and start arguing, and then somebody says, Oh yeah, you're not going to be much of anything. You're going to be sweeping up the trash because you couldn't even cast out a demon. None of you couldn't do it. And they begin to argue, or maybe maybe they said, you know what? Jesus says he's going to die. Who's going to be the one to carry on his ministry? Well, I, I think I should be the one to do it. I got to go up on the mountain. I, well, I think I should get to do it because you remember that one time he told me this. I mean, there, the, the, the possibilities are endless how these things got started. And these are just, these are just things that came to my mind. And maybe, maybe you have some other ideas how they, they, how they happen. We don't know. But for whatever reason, these disciples hear Jesus saying all these things. They know he's going to be handed over. They know he's going to die. And they still argue about which of them is the greatest. Which of them is the most preeminent. Now, of course, Jesus knows this. And so here we see the correction in verse 48. In verses 47 and 48. And Jesus sets out to correct them. And the overarching message, if you look at what he says, the overarching message is, is that to be great in the kingdom of God, that is, that is achieved by being the least. Being great in the kingdom of God is achieved by being the least. 
And so what he does is he takes a child and he stands next to him. So John, won't you come here? Come here, John. Yeah, come on. Come on. So what Jesus does is he takes a child and he stands him right next to him. And he says, if you receive him, you receive me. And what he's saying is, in some way, taking, receiving, accepting this child is like accepting me. Go ahead and sit down. Hey, and be quiet. So Jesus says that to be great in the kingdom is to be least. And he's trying to drive home this message to the disciples. And so he uses this picture of a child. And, and the disciples, what, what, are, what they're focused on here is status. Who's going to be number one? Who is preeminent? Who is megas? Who is the biggest? Who is the most important? They're focused on name recognition. And it's easy to, to, to see why, because that's what people do naturally, isn't it? We, we are drawn to people that are considered important. We're, can, we're drawn to people who have status. If you were given a chance to have dinner with your favorite singer, whoever that is. If you were given a chance to have dinner with a famous actor or actress, or... You could have dinner with Bob Collins of Podunk, USA. Who are you going to eat with? You're going to eat with the famous person, right? Because status, we feel as people, status kind of rubs off on us. We, we have something to talk about. I got to eat with Brad Pitt. I got to eat with, back when he was still alive, I got to eat with Johnny Cash. I mean, that's, what you tell, that's what you tell, isn't it? You wouldn't go to work and say, I ate with Bob Collins from Podunk. Why? Because we are obsessed with status as well. We want to be associated with the well-known person. Now, in that culture, children, it was a status-based culture, and children had no status. They were at the bottom of the totem pole. Now, in today's society, in America, we find that hard to believe. We, We find that hard to relate to because... We always say things like, do it for the kids. Do it for the kids. Well, in that day and time, in that context, if, if there wasn't enough food to go around, dad got his part, mom got her part, and then if there were some left over, the kids got their part, if there was enough. And so, so Jesus takes this person who has no status, and he says, to receive him in my name is to receive me. And that seems like an odd thing to say, but it's not the only place that Jesus said something like this. So, for instance, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 40, he says, He who receives you, talking to the disciples, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Or Luke chapter 10, verse 16, The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Or John chapter 13, verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And I think that last verse is the most helpful here. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives 
Whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And the point seems to be that the one who receives, the one who takes in, the one who accepts, the one who welcomes with open arms, the person that Jesus sends, even if, rather especially if, they don't have any status in the world, that's the person who's great. Why? Because in doing so, you're identifying with that person. You're identifying with the least of these, my brothers. You're not shunning them because they're a nobody. You're not distancing yourself from them because they can't benefit you in some way. You're putting yourself on their level. In other words, Jesus is talking about humility. Humility is a key part of being great in the kingdom of God. Now, I think there's another lesson that that we dare not overlook. And that is, if you look at what he says, Jesus boldly states that to receive him is to receive him who sent him. To receive me, Jesus says, is to receive God, is to receive the Father. Now, if Jesus was just a man, that would be blasphemous. If he was just a man, that would be scandalous. If Jesus were just a man, this would be a lie from the pit of hell. But Jesus is not just a man, he is God incarnate. He says to receive me is to receive the Father. If you've seen me, Jesus said in another place, you've seen the Father. If you honor him, you honor the Father. Listen closely. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. Because if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the Father. Sometimes people say, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Listen, you can be religious, you can be spiritual. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. You're not going to heaven. And the question for, for each of us today is do you have the son do you have the son because if you don't have the son you don't have the father if you don't have the son have you ever responded positively to the call of salvation have you ever repented of your sin because if you've not done that you are not going to heaven you do not have a right standing before god john said in john or jesus said in john 3 18 he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has, already, has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If that describes you today, according to Jesus, not according to Jeff, according to Jesus, the judgment has already been announced. You've already been condemned. And if you die in that state, there's no trial, there's no appeal, the judgment's already been pronounced, the only thing that's left is the fulfillment of that condemnation. And that may have described you when you came into this church today, but it doesn't have to describe you when you leave. You may have come in today lost, separated from God, an unrepentant sinner, but if you will call on the name of the Lord, even right where you are, you will be saved. That's what Jesus said. He said, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The one who, who will come to him, Jesus said, all in no wise cast out. If you will come to him in repentance and faith, God will save you. And I urge you in, in, in the strongest of terms, if you've never done so, to repent of your sin and believe on Christ. Because far from being the greatest in the kingdom of God, if you don't have Christ, you won't even be in the kingdom of God. Now Luke moves on in, in the text, and, and we're going to as well. Because it seems like he, he gives us this, this 
this argument, and then he gives us this teaching, and then he starts telling some what seem like unrelated stories, some unrelated events in the life of Christ. But I think we'll be able to, to make some connections here if, we, if we'll spend a, a couple minutes. The first thing, uh, we're, we're going to look at two things that, that do not make us great in the kingdom of God. The first thing is partyism. Partyism. Now, I don't know if that's a word, but if it's not, it ought to be. It's going to be something I'm going to use. And when I use it, understand I'm not talking about a party like you go and there's music playing and there's dancing. We're at a Baptist party. We don't do that. There's no cake and punch. There, there's no kind of party like that in, in what I'm saying. I'm talking about drawing a circle around our select few and everybody, that's us, and everybody else is them. And probably you know people, maybe you know churches, you know groups, that are, that's an us versus them mentality all the time. Everything is us versus them. Now notice the connection that is made in verse 49. Jesus is talking about doing something in his name, receiving the, the, the child and so forth. Verse 49, John answered. So it's like, if you do this in my name, this is the result. And John says, speaking of doing things in your name, we saw a guy casting out demons in your name. He doesn't follow along with us, so we tried to stop him. He's, he's expecting a pat on the back. Now notice the Bible does not say this man was not a follower of Jesus, but rather, what does it say? He, does not, he doesn't follow along with us. He doesn't travel around with Jesus like the twelve. Do you see this us versus them mentality? We're something special. It's us. We're traveling with Jesus. Everybody else on the outside. And because they're not, he's not following along with us, we're, we tried to stop him. And the same thing is true today. There are a lot of people within churches. There are a lot of people today in churches that look at other faithful Christians and they see them and they treat them like people that are outside the faith. For, for secondary matters. Maybe, maybe you've run into somebody that, that acts like somebody's not a Christian because of the, the style of music they prefer in worship. Maybe you've come across somebody that, that acts like somebody's an unbeliever because of the Bible translation they use. I've seen and heard sermons or parts of sermons that hammer for several minutes on whether or not it's appropriate for a woman to wear pants versus a dress. If you think that, that, it, that women can wear pants, even to, especially to church, you're one of them. You're not one of us holy folk. Even things that are, that are closer to the core of our faith, like, I'm going to get in dangerous water here, mode of baptism. How open the communion table is. So on and so forth. Now that's not to say that every belief is, is equally valid and good and right because it's not. Some, some ideas and some beliefs are just stupid and should be treated as such. There are some things that are dividing lines. But listen, you may have noticed this in our, in our world, but our circles are getting smaller and smaller. And we're going to have to be figuring out who, is, who we can cooperate with in good conscience about things like evangelistic operations and so on and so forth, and who we can't. 
Because what, what happens too many times, I think, is, is we want to draw a circle, a circle around our four and no more. And we say, we're the faithful ones. Everybody else is on the outside. We can cast out demons. And maybe there's even some jealousy because this one guy was casting out a demon. None of them couldn't. Well, I don't like the results that church is having, so I'm going to talk bad about them. I mean, you can see how this type of thing, and that's not, that's not making you great in the kingdom of God. The second thing I want you to see that does not necessarily make one great in the kingdom of God is zeal. Zeal. Now, don't get me wrong, we should have a zealous faith. We should have a red-hot passion for God. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But zeal by itself is not enough. Look at verse 51 and following. Jesus is drawn near to the time of his death. He, he resolutely is headed towards Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him, but he's going anyway. And that's courage. I don't know if you've ever thought about how courageous that is. But he's planning on, on being there during the festivals. And, and Jews of the area would regularly uh, go to those. And so what would happen is Jews in Galilee would go to Jerusalem. And often when they were traveling, they, would, they didn't like the Samaritans. And they didn't want even the unholy Samaritan dust on their feet. So they go around Samaria to get where they were going. But the Jews, when they were on the pilgrimage, many times... They wouldn't take that circuitous route to save time and, and steps because they had to walk everywhere. They didn't drive it. They'd go through Samaria, but they didn't stay. And so Jesus, Jesus sends some, some messengers on ahead, and he's going to stay in Samaria. Now, the Samaritans, they, they reject him. They, don't, they, they refuse him hospitality. Verse 54, look at what happens. James and John, Boanerges is what Jesus called them. He gave them a nickname. It means sons of thunder. That's in, I think, Mark's gospel. Boanerges, sons of thunder. Why? Because they were passionate. They were zealous. They saw Jesus was refused, and they were incensed. They said, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume those suckers? Now, that's my, that's my addition there. You want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? He called down fire from heaven? And you remember this other time in the, in the passage that none of us are familiar with? You remember that one time that, that this, this guy kept sending troops to Elijah? And he, they demanded that Elijah come and talk to the king? And Elijah said, if I'm really a man of God, then let fire come down and consume him? It's in the Bible happened three times two of the times they didn't learn their lessons fire came down from heaven and consumed them on the third one the guy finally got some got some 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 wisdom and he got he dropped to his knees when he saw elijah and said hey would you please come and he didn't come and demand elijah do anything and james and john said you remember that jesus let's just roast those guys they were zealous they were they were angry these people were treating Jesus poorly. They were zealous. They were wanting in the name of religion to do something that, that the faith would not allow. They were, wanting to, they were so zealous for God that they wanted to do something that would displease God. As John uh, Tillotson, the Archbishop of Canterbury, that one place over in England that starts with the sea, is very famous... He once said back in the 1600s, let us never do anything for religion which is contrary to religion. And they had a zeal, they had a passion, 
And look, look, did you see the end of verse 56? They say, let's, let's just scorch earth, literally. Let's burn it to the ground. And what is, what is Jesus' better solution, verse 56? And they went to another village. Man, that's a lot easier. That's a lot easier than calling down fire from heaven, from doing something that would displease God. Jesus is all about compassion and mercy and, and all those things. And these guys are, are so zealous that they just miss it all together. Listen, we can have zeal. It doesn't necessarily make us great in the kingdom of God. And I think more often than not, our, our problem isn't being too zealous, but rather no zealous. We have a, a lack of zeal, a lack of passion, a lack of a desire to follow after God. And if we would be great in the kingdom of God, we must do His things, but we must do them His way. And the first step of that, of course, is being in the kingdom. We talked about that earlier of turning from our sin, of putting our faith in Christ. But after that, what did Jesus say? The one who is the greatest is the least. There's humility. Do you think a, a humble heart says, let's call down fire from heaven? No. If we are going to be great in the kingdom of God, we must show humility. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. with nobody looking around, I just want you to consider the the state of your heart. Of course, humility is one of those things that as soon as you think you've got it, you've lost it. But we know when we've been proud. We know when we're haughty. We know when we have an us versus them mentality that thinks that our way is the only right way, the only good way, the only appropriate way. Listen, we all have blind spots in our lives, in our theology. Again, that's not to say that we just accept any old thing because there, there is right and wrong. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we confess our tendency to be like uh, these two disciples that were maybe overly zealous for uh, for you and for your honor, caused us to do things that displease you. God, sometimes we're like those Samaritans that uh, we can maybe reject things that this out of hand without even considering all that we should. God, help us to not shun the least of these in our, our communities, in our families, in our churches. but to accept them and in doing so show kindness to you to, to recognize that it's, it's not that we're holier than thou 
that we're just sinners saved by grace. And God, for that person who's who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, that they're not, that they don't have Christ and they don't have you, Father. God, I pray that you would draw them even today. Let them become your child. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.